Well, good evening. Good to see you tonight here in person. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, any of those platforms. Be sure to like, to share, to subscribe, to follow us there. Uh, all that just helps to it helps us uh, to get more notarization out there before other people with their algorithms uh, on those platforms. Uh, but it also helps you uh, to know when we go live because if you subscribe or follow, uh, it'll automatically uh, alert you when we go uh, live, especially if you click that notification little notification bell on YouTube, it will let you do that. I also want to say welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming. Uh, if you need that number, we'll be glad to give you that number in person, uh, or you can call the church office there uh, at the number on your screen. We'll be glad to give that uh, to you also. Uh, don't forget, too, that you can go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, it's under the info tab that you can go there and download uh, our worship bulletin. Uh, there's a lot of announcements in the worship bulletin that ha have to do with the, the following week and upcoming weeks, uh, especially uh, one of the announcements I want to make sure you remember is that tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, and the reason we're waiting till 9 o'clock is so the flags will dry off a little bit more uh, to make sure if there's any dew or any rain that comes this evening, hopefully no rain, but any dew in the morning, it'll be dried off from them. At 9 o'clock tomorrow, we'll be taking the flags down. Uh, so if you want to come and help us to do that, be here 9 o'clock tomorrow and uh, just help us to do that. We're going to be wrapping those up uh, in some bags that we'll put them in, I believe. And so uh, we'll need some help in doing that too. But go ahead and get your, your bulletin downloaded there on the church website. Uh, we have those in person in the windowsills and at the doors as you leave tonight. We also have the children's worship bulletins. Uh, those are in the windowsill to my right. You can uh, pick those up or download those under that info tab. Uh, also, and then also you've got your prayer list for tonight. Be sure to get that downloaded. Uh, that's the latest updated prayer list that we've done today. Uh, so you'll want to get that downloaded and be praying through uh, those individuals on that list. And then also don't forget that under that info tab uh, is also the housing agreement uh, for the mission house down here uh, that we're proposing that will be at our next business meeting that we'll be doing that. But uh, we wanted to make sure you had access to it. So it's there under that link for the info tab. Uh, help share that with others who may ask uh, where it's at. If you need a printed copy, call the church office. We'll be glad to print that for you. Uh, also, if you just want to send it to your email, uh, let us know that also, and we'll send it to your email. So we wanted to make sure you're aware of where that's at, how to get that, so that when that time comes later, uh, you'll be ready to know that. There's another announcement, too, that we have that's upcoming. Uh, we're going to be starting the pew removal process this coming Monday. Uh, so that's going to be happening throughout next week. Uh, so things will be a little bit different in here uh, next Wednesday. Not sure exactly where they'll be in the process of moving uh, those pews, but we'll have some chairs at least set up in here for you for next Wednesday night, and then we'll have everything set up uh, for, for the following Sunday uh, for our worship to be in here so that we can continue streaming uh, on all of our platforms there uh, online. Uh, it's just an easier place to do it here, plus everything's already set up up there uh, for that, and so we'll be uh, doing that Sunday after next that we'll be having uh, worship in here with our chairs uh, before we get our pews back in a few weeks. Uh, and then also under that info tab, uh, you can download, I mean, you can download, you can go to the far right hand side, click the give online tab and you can do your online giving. You can do that in person with the envelopes that are in front of you in the pew if you're here in person. So glad to have you with us tonight. Uh, if you're joining there online, we're going to be in the book of Micah tonight. So you may want to get your Bible and find where the book of Micah is at and get turned there. So we're ready, but we're going to sing a song also. So brother Mike, if you You'll come and lead us in our hymn. Take your hymnals and turn to 182, and we're going to sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It's back. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, Miss Pat. Uh, hopefully you've had a chance there online to get your prayer list downloaded. If you need one of those in person, they're on the front pews here. We'll be glad to get you one. If someone comes in late, if you'll make sure uh, that they get one uh, also. Uh, but hopefully you've gotten that downloaded. Uh, if you need to share any prayer requests with us, please do that on Facebook. Uh, we will see them on the others, but uh, we don't see those during the live service. We only see the Facebook on the live service. So uh, be sure to share any of those with us uh, through those platforms. Uh, let me just uh, bring a few to your attention again, uh, as we did last week. Do want to continue to remember Brother George Duncan. Uh, remember uh, him with uh, the medical issues he's been having. Uh, Jim Hess and David Hess. David with his cancer uh, treatments that he's going through, uh, and then also Jim as he's not able to be there uh, in person all the time with him. So just pray for him. Uh, pray for Miss Carolyn Waller who had some medical issues. She's doing better, uh, but we want to continue to pray for her. Uh, Miss Brenda Griffin, uh, who is also. Uh, been having, uh, she lost her brother, uh, and so want to remember her and her family uh, in your prayers, as well as Jack Doubt, who lost his sister. Uh, we want to remember him uh, in our prayers. And then there's a couple of others, uh, well, at least one other that's on that uh, side of our list that's not there, uh, and that is uh, Sandra Wells. Uh, let me get back to my messages here so I can share the message uh, that Leanne sent me earlier today. Uh, she said that her mom is going to be having surgery again at Vanderbilt. There's three more kidney stones uh, that they didn't get, plus she has a torn tendon in her ankle. So we want to remember her in prayer. They have not scheduled uh, that yet. They're going to call them and she'll let us know when that's going to be, but we do want to remember Sandra Wells uh, in our prayers tonight too. 
Uh, on the friends and family side, uh, we do want to especially remember uh, just a few that we want to draw attention to. Bill Hargrove, uh, that is Ann Smith's dad. Uh, he went into the hospital uh, Sunday afternoon uh, after having uh, some seizures and some episodes there. Uh, they said the last report that she had put on, well, before, before last, uh, that he had had a mini stroke, but then they've come back and said, no, he didn't uh, have a mini stroke. So I'm not sure that they know exactly what the situation is there with him, what caused all of that, uh, but he did have some episodes there. He is back home uh, now, and so we praise the Lord uh, for that and is doing much better uh, through that. We do want to continue to remember Matthew Ratcliffe, who's recovering from a car accident at home, uh, Oliver Nagy, uh, and Miss Pat didn't give me an update on, on Oliver, uh, but she did say some on Jake uh, that she had not heard about him yet. He is supposed to have several surgeries uh, upcoming, but they've not let her know yet anything about when exactly those are or if they've already began any of those. So do remember Jake Campbell. Uh, remember Laura Hendricks uh, in your prayers. This is the daughter, daughter of Becky Moffitt, who has some medical issues. Uh, remember Henry Fortner, uh, who's in Erlanger, NICU on the ventilator. This is a great nephew of Terry. What's the update? Okay. So everything turned out good there. He's not on the ventilator, uh, is breathing on his own, and we just praise the Lord for that, huh? Yes, yes. So he's still at Erlanger, still in the NICU, I assume. Yes. Uh, and so do continue to remember him in prayer, uh, but things were very positive uh, there. And then also you'll see on your prayer list Hunter Cruz. Uh, my cousin Cindy Cruz is further up on the list, uh, has cancer. She lives up in uh, the Waverly uh, area. Uh, up that way and uh, she had already been diagnosed with cancer and had uh, decided not to do uh, the treatments um, and so they had called in uh, hospice for her uh, and it's just a process that she'll be going through for some time uh, until that time comes but she felt concerned to have her kids tested after she found out she had cancer and her daughter did not have uh, any signs of cancer but her son Hunter did uh, have colon cancer and so they removed they think most everything there not sure yet if they're going to have to do any treatments uh, for him uh, but just remember Hunter Cruz uh, in your prayers and then also uh, Miss uh, Imogene called this afternoon uh, to give us an update on Miss Frida Anderson that she is doing better uh, the kids I think are swapping out days coming to watch her uh, but we just praise the Lord that her medical issues uh, at least for the time being right now seem to be improved some but she'll still have her long-term things that she'll have to do any other requests that we need to mention tonight that maybe you have in person okay so some unspoken maybe others have some unspoken requests you may be at home and you have some unspoken requests I'm looking on Facebook to see if there's any updates there, of any comments, any prayers. I don't see any. Anybody else? Updates, requests? Okay. I don't see any hands raised. I don't see any comments on Facebook. So. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer then for these as well as for our time tonight in God's word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessing 
that you have given us of life. Lord, we thank you for the breath that we breathe each and every day, for each and every day that you allow us to wake up and to have another day. Father, we expectantly look forward to the day that we'll be with you in your presence, but uh, Lord, we want to be here as long as you would have us to be here, making an impact on this world for the kingdom of Christ as long as you would have us to. And so, Father, we just want to come to you uh, tonight, and first of all, just acknowledging who you are. You are a holy and a righteous God. Holy, holy, holy is your name. And Father, because you are holy, you've commanded us to be holy. You've commanded us to obey your word. And yet, when we reflect upon ourselves in comparison to your holiness, uh, not in comparison to others, but in comparison to you, we begin to see, Lord, we are nowhere near where we should be uh, in, our, in our hearts, in our walk with you. Uh, Father, I just pray that as we come before you tonight, may you bring any sins that are in our hearts and our minds out into the light of the truth of your word, that we would confess those sins before you. Lord, we don't want to hold on to, uh, we don't want to harbor any sin within our hearts, uh, whether it's uh, uh, feelings of anger or animosity, whether it's covetousness in our hearts, uh, whether it's uh, whatever it might be, Lord. There's a numerous list of sins uh, that we could go through tonight, but you know uh, the things that are in our hearts. And Father, I just pray that if there's something maybe we've even missed that we've been uh, thinking about that's ungodly, Father, I pray that you'll bring it out into the truth, that we might confess it. For you've promised us in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And so we, we call out to you on that promise, Lord, that as we confess our sin specifically before you, Father, I pray that you would forgive us and that you would cleanse us and wash us as white as snow. Renew us, Lord, in our hearts' relationship with you. Father, we know we cannot be all that you would have us to be, being the witness you would have us to be, living the way we should be, unless we're in a right relationship with you. And so, Lord, we know that sin hinders that. It hinders our prayers. And so, Father, we just want to get that out of the way first and ask for your cleansing. Father, as we do, we also want to come, Lord, and, and, and just uh, thank you so much for everything you do for us each and every day. Uh, how you're always watching over us, providing for us, caring for us, taking care of us, protecting us. Uh, Father, things that we don't even know or see uh, that you're doing. Maybe we're making a wrong decision and yet you uh, go before us and you protect us from uh, something that would have been harmful in that decision that we were making. And so, Father, uh, we thank you so much for everything that you do uh, each and every day that we don't even see all the ramifications of. And Lord, we just thank you for always providing for us and being there with us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for leading us and guiding us, being our counselor, being our comforter. And Father, we just give you the glory and the honor for the answered prayers that we've been praying on behalf of others. You are such a great and an awesome, mighty God. And Lord, we just want to come again on behalf of each one of these on our prayer list uh, and those that we've even added tonight. Uh, Father, we just ask for uh, your divine healing hand to be upon each one of them. Uh, Father, we know you're capable and able to take care of all of these problems and many more millions of problems in people's lives around this world at the same time. There's not a one of these things, Lord, that are going on in these people's lives, even those unspoken requests that, that 
that are insignificant to you. You care about every detail about our lives, and you know every detail about our lives. You know our hurts, you know our pains, you know our trials, you know our sufferings that we go through, you know our discouragements, you know our failures. And so, Father, we come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would touch these people with your healing hand. Lord, we know that many times there's more than just the physical need, but we pray especially for that physical need right now, uh, Lord, that you would bring that touch of healing to their bodies, not just for their sake, but for your name's sake, that it might be a powerful witness and testimony to others around them of your saving grace and your mercy. And Father, we just pray that in a powerful way that we would be able to testify and to give glory to you uh, through the answered prayers that we hear each and every week. So thank you, Lord, for those who have continued to improve and how you have miraculously touched many of these people. And Father, we just pray that uh, these individuals that we're praying for, you would meet not only their physical needs, but their spiritual needs, especially if there's any of these that are on our prayer list or on our hearts uh, that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Whatever it is they're going through, Lord, we pray that you would use it to turn their hearts towards you and to hear the gospel message. Bring people across their path uh, to share that good news with them. Bring us across their path uh, to share that good news with them. Whether it's a phone call, whether it's a card, whether it's uh, seeing them in the community or visiting them, however it may be, use our words, use the, the feebleness even of our words to be an encouragement to them, to point them to Christ, and to encourage those and to build those up who are in Christ already. And so, Father, we pray for those who are in Christ that you would uh, use this as, a, as a, a building time in their lives to build their strength in you, their trust in you. Father, I pray that they will uh, come out on the other side of these things closer to you than ever before. And, Father, we know that there are some of these individuals that uh, are facing terminal diseases. Lord, we know that you're powerful enough and capable enough to divinely intervene and to bring miraculous healing, uh, that that doesn't have to happen through what they are going through. And so we ask that if that's your will, you would do that. But Lord, if they should have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we pray that you will walk with them, you will talk with them, you will help them to feel your presence and your peace in their hearts and their lives. And Father, I pray that you will uh, just wrap your loving arms around them to let them know that you're with them. And Father, I pray that you'll give them the strength that even in the face of death, Lord, may they be a powerful witness to you of who you are and all that you've done. Lord, for those who have upcoming surgeries, I pray, Lord, for any anxieties that they may have in their hearts, any troubled uh, spirit that they may have. Father, I pray that you would just comfort their hearts. Uh, let them know that you're with them. You've not left them nor forsaken them. And Lord, may you just uh, give them a calmness, a peace in their hearts that your word tells us passes all understanding. So bless them, Lord, in a special way. Lord, we want to come to prayer uh, tonight to you for the word of God that we're going to look at here in the book of Micah in chapter 2. And Father, I pray that you will just speak to us powerfully, even through the Old Testament, to show us uh, the relevancy of this passage to our hearts and to our lives tonight. Lord, we're looking at in the title of this, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? I pray that you'll help us to understand that even more clearly. And then also as we look at what Micah has to speak, Father, may it speak to us personally. Father, I pray that uh, your word would be alive, that your word would be powerful, and it would be effectual, changing our hearts, that if we are believers, it will strengthen us in our walk to be a more bold and powerful witness than before.
before. And for those who don't know Christ, may they hear the gospel in this passage here in the book of Micah, that they will hear the hope that's in the Old Testament. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessings upon your word tonight. Lead us and guide us through your truth. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. We'll take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2, we looked at chapter 1 uh, last week, and we're going to see just a tad bit of it back in uh, chapter 2 uh, tonight. Uh, as I said in the prayer time, I did entitle this, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People?, uh, which presupposes that people are good. Think about that. We say, why do bad things happen to good people? Who are the good people? In fact, what you read in the Bible is the Bible tells us over and over and over again, there is none that is good. No, not one. So when we say that question and we ask that question, uh, many times we are comparing ourselves to other people that there are bad people and there are good people. And in comparison to them, I'm a good person. Well, the Bible, as we see, says in Psalm chapter 14 and in Psalm 53, in the first three verses of both of those Psalms, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. What a powerful word in those three verses in both of those Psalms. But that's not the only place the Bible tells us that. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20, it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Every single one of us have sinned. In fact, when you read in the New Testament in Revelation 3 verse 10 down through verse 12, it says, as it is written, and it's referring back to the Psalms there that Paul is referring back to, he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And so over and over and over the Bible tells us no one is good. In fact, it tells us the very opposite, that we are all sinners that we have all turned aside, that we have all become corrupt, that we are all bad. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in reality, things, bad things don't happen to good people. They happen to all people, whether you're good or you're bad. Uh, we've all sinned just like Israel had sinned, just like Judah uh, had sinned. And that's what Micah had been speaking of in chapter 1 was about their sin and the judgment, the judge that was coming uh, to judge them. And so in the previous chapter, God had pronounced his judgment on, on both Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, which is the capital of the southern kingdom, thereby referring to both of those, the northern and the southern kingdom uh, in, in total. And so Micah, had, he had been kind of speaking in general uh, about things in, in that, speaking about the two different nations. He brought it down a little bit closer uh, than, than Amos did uh, in, in coming back 
back down to not just the nation title, but down to the capital. And now Micah goes even further where he had been speaking generally or nationally. Now in chapter 2, he begins to sift through the masses of people to focus on those that he sees as the most responsible and delivers a rebuke from the Lord, a word that we need to make sure that we take to heart. And so how could God allow such suffering and shame to come to his covenant people? That's what his people, uh, the nation of, of Israel, the nation of Judah, that's what they were both dealing with uh, in, in answering that question. How could God allow such suffering, suffering and shame to come to the people he's made a covenant with? In fact, that was the thing they had a hard problem dealing with is when the prophets came and said, God's going to use the nation of Assyria. Or another prophet came and said, no, they're gonna, he's going to also use the nation of Babylon. They thought, how could God use an ungodly people to bring judgment on his covenant people. They didn't understand that. Weren't they his heritage people? Wasn't the land his love gift to them? And, and, and that, what we see is this, this is why he was punishing them. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 2, it said, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. And so what we find in those verses and what we find here in the book of Micah is that privilege brings responsibility. These were a privileged people. God had chosen this nation out of all the other peoples on the face of the earth. Um, and, and yet with that privilege came responsibility. And responsibility brings accountability. And so the prophet is sharing God's word that God is going to hold them accountable for two particular sins. One sin of covetousness that we're going to see in verses 1 through verse 5. And then in verse 6 down through verse 11, listening to the false prophets. So notice that covetousness and listening to the false prophets is a determined sin. It's a determined sin. Uh, look at verse 1 and verse 2, if you will, with me. He says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Now, we all know this about sin, that, that sin is any action or any thoughts that are contrary to the will of God. We, we ourselves today find the will of God in the word of God. They didn't have the written word of God, but they had been communicated God's word by the prophets. Uh, they were there when Moses uh, had written down the, the commandments for them, the Ten Commandments. They had the law, the Torah uh, that, the, that the leaders uh, had that they would, would continually uh, share with the people and refer back to the people to show them and to teach them God's word. As parents, you were to teach your children. God's word. And so they were to teach that sin is any actions, any thoughts that are contrary to the will of God. Now, all too often today, and even back then, they downplayed sin by seeing it as more of a slip up or more of a mistake or, or an unforced error. It's something that happens to us rather than something that originates within us and emanates from us. And that's the way we so often want to look at sin. Oh, it's something that happened to me. It wasn't my fault. It's my parents' fault. Or it's the environment that I grew up in's fault. 
or it's uh, the government's fault. It's always somebody else, not me, because we don't want to acknowledge that the sin begins in us. It emanates from us. And, and so when we do that and we make it some other external reason, that makes sin inconsequential. It also allows us to play the victim rather than accepting our role as perpetrators. So when the, the nation of Israel is dealing with this and they're saying, well, we're good people, why are you allowing these bad things to happen to us? They're playing the part of the victim rather than accepting the responsibility for what they did that has led them to God's punishment upon them. All sin is wrong, and we know that. We don't want to minimize it, not in our lives or in the lives of those around us. We also know that sin committed in the moment when we're faced with an overwhelming temptation is bad. There's no excuse. We're still morally responsible. We're still guilty. We're not helpless prey. We also know, though, that sin is premeditated. It doesn't usually just happen quickly. Uh, it usually it's a slow fade. You've heard that song before, or, or it's kind of slow steps. It's thoughts that begin in our mind, and we begin to have thoughts of anger, say, if it's a, an issue that we take out uh, on, on a person out of anger. Uh, we begin to have those thoughts first, and those thoughts begin to take root the more we dwell on it, and the more we dwell on it, the more we dwell on it, until finally it leads to some actions of sin. And so uh, we need to realize that many times sin doesn't happen uh, quickly, it's premeditated. It doesn't appear to fully mature, if you, if you will, out of nowhere. It's conceived in our sinful thoughts and our desires, which over time is birthed into some tangible existence through our actions and through our words. It's what many Bible uh, teachers have called sin with a high hand. It's premeditated, it's thought out, not birthed out of a fit of passion. Uh, but deliberative planning. And that's the sin of the worst kind because we've entertained it in our thoughts, we've allowed it to take root in our lives, and because of that it begins to grow and then it begins to produce wicked fruit. Which, by the way, is why we're always encouraged to guard our minds, to watch your thoughts. Don't let sinful thoughts linger. Think on those things, Paul says, that are holy and true and lovely and virtuous and of good report. And he goes through that long list of things that we need to think on because he knows that here is where many of the sins we commit in our minds begin. So don't let those sinful thoughts linger. Submit them in obedience to Christ because if we don't, they will find their expression in our lives, in our actions. And so that's what Micah is pronouncing in verse 1, this woe about. Woe to those who devise evil or devise wickedness and work evil. Now that word woe there is a word of judgment. It's also a word of lamentation, a, a word of weeping because it, it's, you know, it's kind of like what a parent would always say to us when we were little, this is going to hurt me worse than it does you. And it does hurt them. You knew that as you grew up to be a parent yourself. It hurts you to have to discipline your children. So within that word woe is, is the judgment, but there's also the lamentation, the weeping that I wish I didn't have to do this. But I have to because of the holiness. And so the guilty party, parties here that Micah begins to zero in on are the rich and powerful. 
the influential of society who go to bed, they lie awake, they dream up and scheme about ways they can take advantage of others. That's what he's talking about. They work evil on their beds. So when they go to bed at night, that's all they can think about. Well, how am I going to, how am I going to get ahead tomorrow? And, and if that means I've got to step over a few people to do that, I'm going to do that. I'm going to step on some people and I'm going to bring some people down if I had to, so I can get ahead. And he says that's what they're, they're thinking of. They're thinking of ways they can take advantage of others. They dream up wickedness. They dream up evil plans. And so what, what Mike is saying is your sin has been well thought out. It's intentional. You've, you've enjoyed it. You've dreamed it up at night, hardly sleeping. You're awake at the crack of dawn. You're like a, a kid at Christmas that can't wait to open uh, the present to, to put your plans into action. And, and so when we look at this, what is the motivation behind their evil intentions? What motivates these sinful planning sessions, if you will, that they're having at night? Well, you go to verse 2, and Micah says, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And so we see that, that the, the thing that is motivating them is covetousness, which the tenth, tenth Commandment addresses. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The Mosaic law required that the land remain with the families and within the tribes. And the land actually belonged to the Lord. It's almost as if the Lord has, has leased it out to them. In fact, that's the way Jesus uh, many times refers to, to, the, to the relationship that's happened there in the covenant, uh, that there's kind of uh, like a lease there that, that's happened, uh, uh, a contract between uh, them and God. And so he sort of leased it to these people in return for their obedience uh, to his law. That's why he uses the illustration of the master uh, who has a vineyard and, and those illustrations that he used. And they go off uh, and he's talking about himself uh, who's leased out the land to them. So if they disobey him, they defiled the land and they invited his judgment. If anybody sold family property, it was only until the next year of Jubilee. Does anybody know when that would happen? Every 50 years is when the year of Jubilee would happen. So at the year of Jubilee, it was at the time that all land reverted back to the original owners. How would you like that? <laughs> the land you're living on, the place where you're living in your house, reverted back to the original owners. What was the purpose of that? Think of that. It's told in Leviticus 25, verse 13 to verse 17. We'll look at it in a little bit. But at that time, the land reverted back to the original owners. This arrangement kept the rich from oppressing the poor and helped to stabilize the economy. So if you were in need, you could lease out your land. It's kind of like taking out a second mortgage on your house or your land so that you could have some funds to be able to make it through. Uh, you wouldn't lose the place because then eventually at the time of the year of Jubilee, it would all revert back to the family, to you or, or to your inheritance uh, as part of the family. And, and that would just help keep the rich from getting richer and the poor from getting poorer and having those huge disparities between the two. But the wealthy 
uh, robber barons in Micah's day were bent on acquiring large estates on which they could enslave the poor and thus make huge profits with very little investment. They were, in, they were so intent on their pursuit of wealth that they made their ruthless plans in bed at night, then got up early the next morning to carry them out. And so because of their wealth and their authority in the land, these rich men controlled the courts and they controlled the councils at the city gates. And so it seems like they always are getting what they wanted. It didn't matter very much to these proud men that they took away farms illegally, that they evicted families from their homes mercilessly. They practiced the world's version of the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And that's the way they pursued life. They forgot, though, that it's really the Lord who owns the land. The Lord made the laws, and the Lord has compassion on the poor and the oppressed. But even if these thieves had no fear of God, they should have had concern for their fellow human beings and treated them like people who have been made in the image of God. So he says, even if you didn't believe in me, you should have at least had compassion on your brothers and your sisters, your, your nation around you, and not took advantage of them. You should have treated them as people who are made in the image of God. So this sin of materialism came because people who were covetous and, and obsessed with acquiring more and more wealth and things. They just wanted more and more and more. And they forgot Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus tells us to, to, to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, they didn't practice that. Even that truth was taught in the Old Testament. And they began to put everything else ahead of the kingdom of God. However, ultimately, the covetous sinners that Micah addressed would reap what they sowed, and that dreadful harvest of their sins would one day appear. So you see in verse 3 down through verse 5, here's what he says, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, those who stole, those who coveted the fields and seized them, those who oppressed the man in his house, the man in his inheritance. Therefore says the Lord, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily or prideful, for it will be a time of disaster. Verse 4. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. So their proud self-confidence would be taken away from them. Their authority would be gone. Their crooked uh, accomplices would turn against them and laugh at them. And, and all those vast holdings that they had gotten illegally from people would disappear from their hands. It would be snatched from their hands. And, and they would see everything they lived for and everything they had sinned about to acquire, they would see it be taken over by an enemy 
the nation of, of Syria, Assyria that's coming down to attack them here in the north and then trying to come down into most of the southern kingdom but weren't able to come against Jerusalem and then later Babylon coming against them, uh, coming against the southern kingdom. And so he says it's going to all be snatched from your hands. Everything you've got, gotten by your ill gain is going to be lost. Many of them would go into exile and they would die away from the land that they had coveted, away from the land that they had stolen from innocent people. And so those thoughts are in line with what we see in Micah here. Their greedy desires had led them to commit evil against others. Uh, this group has the power to act on their desires and to carry out their plans. And so they took property and they took homes of the poor and the weak and they took them by force, by intimidation, by manipulating the system, by the misuse of power. They wanted more of what they already had and by hook or by crook they were determined to get it. You want to read an example of this Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 21. We won't look at the verses in particular, but you can mark that down to look at the story. You remember the story about King Ahab, who was the king of Israel, and Naboth. You remember Naboth? Naboth owned a vineyard next to, Na next to Ahab's palace, and Ahab coveted Naboth's vineyard. He offered to buy Naboth's vineyard, and Naboth refused. And Ahab, Ahab was, was sad. He was, he was distraught about it. And so remember his wife, who was Queen Jezebel? Uh, she devised this plan to wrongly accuse Naboth and have him put to death, which is what they did. And what did Ahab do? He took possession of the vineyard. In response, if you'll remember the story, God sends a prophet. Do you remember who the prophet was? Elisha the Tishbite. To pronounce a judgment against the king, and that pronouncement of that judgment happened. That's an example of what Micah is, is talking about here that has happened over and over and over and over through the nation of Israel and through the nation of Judah. In fact, we saw last week has been like a cancer. It spread from the northern kingdom down into the southern kingdom, the sin did. And so the wealthy and the powerful in Jerusalem were taking farms and houses of those around them in their country. And so it was a determined sin wasn't just a sin of happenstance they determined in their hearts to do this secondly it was also a detrimental sin and again when we look at verse 3 to verse 5 that's what we see here Micah's labeled their actions as wicked and evil you see that back in in verse 1 Old Testament teachers say that the overriding meaning of wickedness is of deception actively practiced by evildoers with the purpose of hurting others. And so those who violate God's law ended up hurting others. And that's what these people were doing. They were hurting others. It hurt the individual. It hurt the families. It hurt their homes. Micah, you remember we talked about it in chapter 1, was just a country boy. And he may have even known some of these families uh, who this happened to. They lost their land. It was a very agrarian society, agricultural society, uh, where, very, where much of what was provided for the family came from the land, came from the homestead. It meant when they lost all that, they lost their livelihood. I mean, how are you going to put food on the table? You don't even have land to grow it on anymore. And so they lost their ability to provide for the family. Uh, there weren't any manufacturing plants uh, hiring down the road. It wasn't easy to start over. Land was important, and that devastated the family. Well, that devastation went deeper than providing in the moment. 
It was generationally destructive because that land was to be an inheritance for the generations to come. If you've been, that land's been taken away from you, you don't have anything then left to give to the family to be able to sustain for them and to provide for them as, as things go down the road. It was an inheritance given uh, by God. And so the land was apportioned by God. Remember when the people came into Canaan, this tribe got this land, this tribe got that land, this tribe got that land. Throughout all the 12 tribes, they got their land. People in the tribes got their specific plots of land within their tribe's land. And so it was supposed to continue to be passed down to their tribe, to their family uh, throughout the generations. That's one of the reasons when you read in the book of Ruth that Ruth's husband had died and she needed a kinsman redeemer. Uh, to redeem uh, the situation that she was going through. Uh, and so the land had been apportioned. We see this in verse 9 happening. Verse 9 says, The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses, from their young children you take away my splendor forever. And so he's saying you're, you're leaving the next generation with nothing. We also know that was important. When you go back and you look at the year of Jubilee, every 50 years. Look at that passage in Leviticus 25, verse 9 through 11. I said we'd come back to that in a moment. So here's those verses. It says, in, for the year of Jubilee, then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate or set aside the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Verse 11, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. The Holman Dictionary, the Holman Bible Dictionary says this about the year of Jubilee. It says the year of Jubilee prevented the Israelites from oppressing one another. In other words, you couldn't just keep getting and getting and getting on the hurt of others because they were in a bad situation and needed help. You couldn't just keep uh, taking and taking and taking and taking. Eventually, it's all got to be reconciled uh, in the books. And so it gave those Israelites, it gave everybody a chance for a new start. It discouraged permanent accumulations of wealth and the deprivation of an Israelite from his inheritance in the land, depriving him of his inheritance. It was a reminder of God's interest in economic freedom. And so it, it kept the, the power, if you will, from coalescing into a small group of people. They were taking from others to satisfy their own desires and to prop up their own kingdom. And that's one of the reasons why God was judging them and why bad things were happening to what they were calling good people. And so we've looked at, 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 at how uh, their sin, how the sin, it was a determined sin. We've seen how it was a detrimental sin. Now we see their deadened heart in verse 6 down through verse 11. So verse 6 uh, begins here and says, Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace 
will not overtake us. You'll notice those things are in quotes because someone is speaking that. Someone is saying that. So understand what's going on here. There was not only covetousness in their hearts, there was also the other sin we mentioned at the beginning, listening to the false prophets. And so just like the false prophets had attacked Jeremiah, they attacked Amos for preaching God's truth, these false prophets begin to attack Micah for faithfully declaring the message of God. And what they're saying to Micah is, quit preaching that. We don't want to hear that kind of message anymore. And so these men, they had promoted a shallow theology that, that had no place for either sin or repentance. What they said is, we're God's special people. We are God's chosen people. Nothing can happen to us, no matter what we do or how we act. They thought as long as we participate in regular services, they, they wouldn't incur the wrath of God, even if their hearts weren't in their worship. And so the Jews, uh, think of this, they, they consider themselves the Abraham's children and, and that God would never bring the promises that he made to Abraham. He made those promises to Abraham and God said, I'm not going to break that promise to you. And so they said, well, we can just keep on sinning. We can keep on doing whatever. It's like Paul uh, argues in the New Testament that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Uh, but he says, uh, does that mean then that you can go on sinning? No. But that's where these people were. They thought we're special to God. We can just do whatever we want. And he's still going to love us. He's still going to provide for us because we're Abraham's children. He won't ever break his promises to us. And that was the false premise that these false prophets were preaching from. Uh, so what these counterfeit religious leaders forgot, though, was that God's covenants many times involve precepts as well as promises, commandments, uh, obligations, as well as blessings. And so just going through the motions of religion wasn't the same as worshiping God, as John 4.23 says, in spirit and in truth. So understand this, anybody can join a crowd and be a part of some popular religious movement, but it takes devotion and prayer and obedience and submission to worship God, as Hebrews eleven twenty eight says, with reverence and godly fear. Popular religion is usually false religion because the road to eternal life, what does Jesus say about it? It's narrow. The way that leads to destruction is wide and the gate is wide. The way that leads to eternal life is narrow, and the gate is narrow. And Jesus says, few there be that find it. And so the, the, way, the road of eternal life is narrow, and it's lonely, and those who walk it are invariably persecuted. And so in verses 6 and verse 7, the people and the false prophets, they're saying to the true prophets, and in particular here to Micah, quit your preaching. So Micah, along with the other prophets like Isaiah and Hosea, had been preaching the same message, one that the people said, we don't want to hear any more of that. Stop preaching. Those things won't happen to us. They didn't want to hear what Micah had to say. They didn't want to hear what the other prophets had to say. They rejected it. They didn't want to hear about that kind of God. The kind of God they believed in was one that they had created with their own hands, their own minds, to soothe their own conscience. He wasn't a God who would judge them or punish them. He was a God who blessed them. He was a God of great, great patience. And in fact, we see that many times today. Some who want to focus so much on God's love 
that they do it to the detriment of remembering and being reminded of God's justice. So understand, God is a great God of patience, but that's only part of the picture. And that's only part of what they wanted. They wanted to, to in a sense, uh, Photoshop the rest of God's attributes out of the picture. They wanted his love. They wanted his patience. They wanted his blessings, but they wanted to edit out his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. They wanted preaching that didn't uh, tackle daily behavior or business ethics or, or marketplace issues. They wanted preaching, preaching that limited itself to worship and prayer. In other words, preacher, keep it inside these walls. What I do out there is my business. They wanted preaching uh, that was, uh, that, that was uh, personal and not the kind of preaching that addressed the need of being faithful. They wanted to say, this is my faith, that's my business out there. And the two are separate. For believers, nothing is farther from the truth. Because there are many today, like those in Micah's day, who wanted to maintain their position as God's people while embracing the world. Here's what James says in James chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, who wishes, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The great preacher G.K. Chesterton, uh, paraphrasing his words, uh, said they embrace the world not because Christianity has been tried and found wanting. They embrace the world because Christianity has been found difficult and not been tried. Christianity uh, is, is difficult and they, they don't want to try it. So they gather for themselves preachers who will preach a gentler gospel and a more flexible God. And, and so in that day, if you had enough money, you could find a prophet who would say whatever you wanted them to say. In fact, you can go back to the Old Testament and find out. The kings of the Old Testament did it. They had their roster of false preachers, false prophets that they would consult because they knew that those prophets would tell them what they wanted to hear and not the truth. Going back to King Ahab, that's what he did. And King Ahab, Israel's king in the north, he went to Jehoshaphat, who was the king in the south, in, in Judah's king. Uh, and, and he asked him to join a battle against an enemy. Jehoshaphat wanted to ask a prophet what to do. And so you know what Ahab said? I got a prophet. Let me ask him what he says. You can listen to what he has to say. He had his false prophet roster, and he, he called them, and, he, and they all said, go, fight, win. Now, Jehoshaphat, he recognized these preachers were not really on the up and up, and he asked if there was a prophet of the Lord. And you remember Ahab said, yeah, there's this guy, uh, Micaiah, but I don't really like him. He never prophesies anything good about me. People still, even today, gravitate towards those who say what they want to hear. That hasn't changed. People want what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Here's what he wrote. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. 
baptism without discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confessions. He said cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And so what results from this are hearts that are hardened towards others and a callousness towards God. Notice the language used in verse 8. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. So verse 7 goes on. Let's read verse 7 all the way down through uh, verse 11. This is what the rest of the message goes on to say. They said don't preach. In verse 7 it says, Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. So this is the Lord speaking through Micah to the people there. Lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses, from their young children. You take away my splendor forever. In other words, you don't leave them with any inheritance. He says, verse 10, arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about another wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher of this people. He said, that's the kind of preacher you really want. And so what resulted in their hearts was this hardness. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. They rejected his word. They rejected God's ways. We also notice that God saw this sin against others uh, as, as personal. Do you ever have a friend who stood up for you and said, you pick on him, you're picking on me. You pick a fight with him, then you're picking a fight with me. Well, that's what God is saying to the people. You pick on these poor, oppressed people, you're picking on me. And when you sin against others, you've sinned against me. They were God's covenant people. They were all like we are, image bearers. To sin against them is to sin against God. And so he's saying to the false prophets that God's judgment is unavoidable. God's judgment is irreversible. You cannot escape it. When the land you've taken is taken from all of you and you return to the land, nobody's going to stand for you. You're all going to be removed from the land. You won't have any place in it. You want land and power so badly that you're willing to trade me for it. And you're willing to mistreat others, then you're not going to have either. You don't get me, and you won't get the land. And so God's judgment was unavoidable and irreversible. It was complete. One thing I love about the prophet, uh, prophets about God's word is that there's always, though, a word of hope. We've seen the covetousness is a determined sin, a detrimental sin. It produces a hardened heart. But we come to the close in verse 12 and verse 13, and we see God's gracious provision. Verse 12 says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So here's the prophet, the faithful prophet, exposing sin and announcing judgment. But he also has to provide hope for those who receive this message and turn to God. In other words, hope without true repentance is only giving false hope. It's saying peace, peace when there is no peace. 
But conviction without hope creates only hopelessness, like performing surgery uh, without providing healing. And so God's judgment is going to fall on the nation. Yes, there are groups, and yes, there are individuals uh, that were guilty, uh, but, but we don't exist independently of each other. And so God promises there's going to be a remnant, always a remnant. There's always going to be those who return. There's going to be those who will be saved. There's going to be those who are going to be restored. Even though the nation of Israel might rebel against God, there would always be a faithful remnant that would trust him and seek to do his will. And God would work because of the faith of this remnant. You even see this when you look in the book of Revelation about the end times, the remnant. The hope of the nation lies with the remnant. If you remember in the, what happened in the nation of Israel after they were taken to exile, a remnant returned to Judah after the Babylonian captivity. But it never became the great nation that the prophets promised. That's going to happen when the Lord returns, uh, when, when, when he claims his chosen nation and establishes his kingdom. The Messiah is described in verse 13 as the one who, he who opens the breach goes before them. That's the Lord Jesus who's going before them. That'll happen when the Lord returns. He opens the doors that confine the Jews in various nations so that he might bring them to their land. And God certainly did this when the exiles left Babylon. But the promise here is for the last days when the Messiah shall uh, come to overcome his enemies and redeem his chosen people. And so the picture's given here of a shepherd who's gathering his flock and caring for them. And that imagery ought to capture our mind that's found there in verse 13 of one who's leading his people, who's breaking through a wall uh, or, or a line of attack. It's one who makes a breach in the enemy's defenses so he can lead the people to safety and to victory. Now, there was coming a battle, Micah saying, with this guy named Sennacherib, in which God would go before them and strike 185,000 Assyrians in the night. You, you can read that back in the book of Kings. But think of this also about the future, because think of our King Jesus leading with might against the enemies of sin and hell. Jesus took on the cross he endured the wrath of God. He defeated sin, death, and hell. He made a way through so that he could bring us to safety. Some of the bad things that happened to us happened because of our sins. God never promises that bad things won't happen. But he does promise to stay with us if we stay with him. And he will see us through to victory on the other side. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word tonight and for your truth. And Lord, I pray that this message has stirred our hearts to be ever more faithful, not just saying we love you, but demonstrating it in our hearts and our lives, letting the Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts and anything and everything that you would have us to do. Help us to be faithful and true to your word. And so, Father, I pray that you will use this message especially for those who are lost to help them to know that there is hope even in the midst of the suffering of sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but it also tells us that the gift, of eternal, the, the gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Father, I pray that we would receive that gift tonight. 
Father, I pray for your will to be done in those hearts and for you to use this message to stir people's hearts, that there is hope, that even if we find ourselves with this sin of covetousness in our hearts, there's still hope, that we can repent of it and we can turn to you and we can begin to make things right in our lives. So lead us and guide us, Lord, to a more faithful walk with you. And may you be glorified and honored in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us online. Uh, we'll be back Sunday morning, uh, 9.15 for Sunday school. Come join us in person. Uh, we'd love to have you here in person. If you can't, uh, we'll see you online at 10.30 for our worship service. Uh, you have a, a, a safe week. You stay safe, a blessed week. And we'll see you this coming Sunday, 10.30.